Let's do this. Let's pray, and then I'll, I'll begin, right? Uh, Father God, thank you. Um, uh, thank you again for today, Lord, and just um, providing this place and this time for us to gather together, Lord, to, to worship you in the many ways that we worship you. We, we, we seek to worship you through singing praises um, about you, but singing them, them to you. Where we worship you primarily through the proclamation and through the, the hearing of your word via, via teaching and, and via, via preaching. Lord, I pray, God, that you would continue to glorify yourself as, as you continue to sanctify us. Lord, that you would make us more like Christ, that we would, we would know you more, that we would that we would love you more and that it would be evident internally and, and externally. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to save the lost. Jesus, those who are, are here that, that don't know you, I, I pray that you would save them, that you would do only what you can do. You would remove their hearts of stone, replace them with hearts of flesh, that, that they would turn from themselves, turn from their sin, and in repentance and faith they would, they would turn to you and trusting in you alone for salvation. Jesus, we, we love you. You're, you are amazing. Your love for us is amazing. Your work is incredible. And we are forever grateful. Continue to glorify yourself in us and through us this morning. It's in your precious holy name we pray. Amen. Okay, if you have your Bibles, I hope you do. If not, there should be a pew Bible close. We're going to continue in Acts, and it's been like, I don't know when the last time I preached. Uh, so Acts, Acts chapter 4. While you're turning there, I'm going to give you just a, a, a brief kind of recap of, of, of where we've been. Acts, specifically today, we're looking at Acts 4, 13 through um, 22. So Peter and John, going back a couple chapters, um, Peter and John, right, they go up to the temple um, and they heal this, this lame man, right, this guy that had been born lame from birth, right? They drew a crowd, so they heal this man, they draw this crowd, right, and they seize the opportunity to proclaim the resurrected Christ. They, they preached the gospel, right? And subsequently, then they were arrested for preaching this, this unpopular at least it was unpopular with the, the Pharisees, with the Sadducees, right? They were arrested for preaching this unpopular message, right? And if you recall from, from I think it was the last time, I had said that the truth, right, is often unpopular, right? So now where we pick up here in uh, Acts 4.13, they find themselves essentially on trial. I mean, it's not, uh, and it's more of an inquiry, if you will, as opposed to a official legal proceeding. But they find themselves on trial before the Sanhedrin. So I'm going to read um, verses 13 through 22. Now, they, now when they, they again being the, the, the Sanhedrin, um, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them. They had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. 
But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have heard and seen. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go and finding no way to punish them because of the people for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Peter and John, I mean, all right, so they were, they were ministering, I guess, right? They were evangelizing. They were healing. They were, they were working. They were speaking, but it really wasn't them that was doing it. And it was the Holy Spirit who was working in them and through them, right? It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they again being these men making up the Sanhedrin, they were astonished. The Holy Spirit was working in and through them, again, common men, right, in such a way that those around them were, again, it says astonished. This, this isn't, this is, these are just common folk, and listen to how they speak and what they do. This is, the, again, the outworking of the Holy Spirit in them and through them. Matthew, um, Matthew chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, right, Jesus tells them, his disciples, that this is, this is going to happen. He says, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. And when you think about it, what, what an amazing testimony. I mean, ordinary men who were probably, in the world's eyes, doofuses, right? Wor- worthless, fishermen, nobodies. And they spoke with power, and they spoke with boldness, right? And it didn't put them on display, right? put Christ on display. It put God on display. It magnified the work of the Holy Spirit, magnifying Christ in them and through them. I was thinking about that last night. I was, I was online just doing some, 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 some reading, um, and I was reading about two, the, the two, I guess, um, main or major nominees for Southern Baptist president. Right, that's coming up here. I mean, I don't normally follow that stuff. I don't even know how I stumbled across this this the the the, the article, right? Or articles. And so it's talking about these two men or two main nominees. It's going to be one of the two, right? Um, nominees for for SBC president. And as you read their bios from the SBC's website and everywhere else, right? I mean, the bios just praise the men. He's a he's a innovative communicator who has written numerous books, and through his creative communication style, he's been able to capture the attention of whatever. And then if you examine his church, they're this big when they used to only be this big, and they give this much money, and they do this, and they do that. 
and everything. This is a vastly different testimony, if you will, about these men who one will soon become the SBC president and, and Peter and John. Peter and John, when the, when the men marveled at them, it put Christ on display, right? He was the center of attention. We're all too often in today's world, right, through our preachers, our teachers, our, our speakers, we're not putting Christ on display or on a pedestal, right? There should be someone on a pedestal in the church, right? And it should be Christ, not the pastor, not a teacher, not a preacher, not a musician or the musicians or, or whoever. It should be Christ. And as I was thinking about how we do typically things today versus this testimony of Peter and John, wow. I mean, again, what a testimony of Christ's work in them and through them. Listen, this supernatural work, right? Peter and John, right? Is evidence of obedience. Spirit-filled, so I want you to, from this, remember this, okay? Spirit-filled ministry, all right, is obedient ministry. If your ministry isn't spirit-filled, you're not being obedient. You're not being led, filled, led by the Holy Spirit. Spirit Spirit-filled ministry is obedient ministry, and spirit-filled life is obedient life. Right? What we see in Peter and John in, in, in verse 13 is the result of obedience. I've titled this morning's message 13 through 22 of chapter 4. Obedience at all cost. I'm going to pick back up here in verse 14. says, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they, again referring to the Sanhedrin, this council, if you will, they had nothing to say in opposition, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evidence or evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. Listen, the Sanhedrin wants this to go away, right? They want these men to go away. They want this crowd to disperse. They want the message of the gospel to be done. They, want, they, they, they were hoping, if you will, that, that Jesus, right, would have disappeared when he was put into the ground. That was the whole point of this. Let's, let's end him. Let's make this movement. Let's just let's be done with it, right? And, and obviously we see what next. The opposite of that happening, this movement, if you will, this message, if you will, is now gaining steam, right? It's moving forward at a, at a more uh, rapid pace, right? So they, they want to be done with it, and yet they can't because, one, they have no case against Peter and John, right? Not only do they have no case against them with what's going on with this crowd and with this, this healing of this layman. They can't even make one up. Well, let's, let's charge them with this or let's charge them with that. They've, they've got nothing. They've got nothing against Peter and John. Nothing that they can charge them with. Anyway, nothing, nothing that they can do to stop them legally, right? Essentially, they, again, being the Sanhedrin, 
they were silenced by the truth, by the truth of this message that was preached, by the truth, the truth of the work of Christ in healing this man who had been, who had been crippled his entire life, 40 plus years, right? They were silenced by this, this crowd that had gathered um, as a result of what had happened in this, this healing, this crowd that was enthused, empowered, enthralled by what was going on, this message that was, was being preached, right? Now, again, these guys, they were, they were we should be able to relate to, relate to this, though. They were, they were being politicians, right? Again, had they been able at the time to create a false charge or imprison them, I'm, I'm sure they would have, right? But again, they, they had nothing. You know, as, as, I, as I consider this, as we consider this, right, thinking about them in part being, I will say silenced by the truth. I mean, they couldn't, it was the truth. A guy had been healed. We, 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 we know this guy, crippled, definitely crippled, now can walk, right? What, what, do, what do we do with that? Right, listen, the truth, um, <laughs> truth is irrefutable. Let's look at Luke real quick, Luke 21. Luke twenty one fifteen. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Again, Jesus kind of pointing forward to what was going to be, be happening in part. Um, again, truth is irrefutable. You, you cannot, Paul, I've been thinking about you as I was thinking about this too, and apologetics and all this stuff. And, and you can correct me later if I'm wrong on any of this. But you, you can't win an argument against truth. I mean, we have Christians that debate, right? You know, I was thinking about I didn't watch the Bill Nye-Ken Ham debate back when it happened, right? Um, I, I, for what, I don't remember what it Maybe I was working or something. And so when that, that debate was over, some of you may be familiar with it, maybe not. But I know that, that there were some that were like, Ken Ham definitely won the debate, right? Um, and then others were, you know, even believers. Nah, I, I, he really didn't do that good of a job. He, he, he could have done better. He didn't bring this up. He didn't bring that up. Um, you know, Bill Nye won, right? From okay, listen, men can win and lose debates. Right? The the most John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, uh, name your guy, Alistair Begg, whoever, Al Mohler. I can't think of uh, whoever. Right, Josh McDowell. These they can lose debates just because a man, a believer, loses a debate. Doesn't mean that the truth was defeated, right? Because you can't, you can't defeat truth. You cannot win an argument against truth. If you could, then it would not be what? It wouldn't be the truth. That's absolutely right. When we, when we preach the gospel, okay, when we teach, when we, when we perform, right, when we, when we lead others in, 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 in worship, in, in music, and we do that, we must, we must proclaim truth, right? Not, not thus says man, not, not thus says me, but thus says God. This is this is what God's word says. This is this is true. You can affirm it 
accept it. You can deny it. You can argue against it. But if you deny it and argue against it, 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 it doesn't make it any less true because it's, it's the truth. And the truth is true all the time. Peter and John, really, God had, regardless of what they believed, right, had silenced these men with the truth. So what was, so what was their response, right? They recognized they had no case against them. They couldn't argue against what had happened. And so we see in verses 17 and 18, um, but in order that... It, what, this, this message, it being this message, this, this movement, okay, in order that it may spread no further among the people, they said, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So what does man do when he cannot win an argument against the truth? He suppresses it. He seeks and or seeks to suppress it. So again, the Sanhedrin having no case or current ability to try um, or to imprison Peter and John commanded them to be quiet. Again, I'm convinced that they would have done to Peter and John what they did to Christ uh, had they the opportunity, right? We know later on Peter, Peter met his demise right upside down on, on a cross. But at the current time, you know, John, we understand, spent some time on an island, right? And we'll silence him by putting him out there. But at the current time, there was nothing, there was nothing that they could do physically to them. So they sought to suppress the truth, again, of this message that they were preaching, Romans 1.18, right? Again, this, this should be no surprise to us. Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, what? Suppress the truth. The wicked seek and will seek to suppress the truth. Not just the gospel, right? I mean, they will, right? The wicked, the, the godless seek to and will seek to suppress the truth of the gospel, but also God-honoring, Christ-honoring, biblical truth. So as, as believers today, it, it shouldn't surprise us, right, when the world around us seeks to suppress truth. I mean, we're, we're living in this world today. Right? I mean, we're, we're living now in a, a post-Christian, post-constitutional, post-moral America where it seems at, at every turn, those who are in control, those who have, have power, uh, authority, governmentally, are seeking to what? To suppress the truth and to suppress those who proclaim truth and in many different ways, right? Let's go back to, 
to Acts 4, and we're going to look at verse 19 and, and 20. Look at kind of Peter and John's response to those who would seek to suppress, to suppress them, to suppress the truth, to suppress the message that they're proclaiming. So again, in verse 18, it says, So they, again, uh, Sanhedrin, call them, charge them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now we have their response, right? But Peter and John answered, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. Verse 20, For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Now, here's my first thought, right? My, my, my first thought, so I'm kind of jumping ahead, and then I'll come back. My first thought when I read uh, uh, verses 19 and 20 is, wow, right? Not, wow, they told them, no, we're going to follow God first, but, but, wow, they cannot help but to speak of that which they have seen and heard. They are compelled to proclaim Christ. Reminds me of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians um, 9, 16. Paul says, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity it is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. These men are compelled to preach the gospel. They have no other option. It's, it's, it's not something that they can contain within themselves, that they can bind up within themselves, right? It, 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 it has to come out of me, right? And it's going to continue to come out of me as long as I have breath. They say, we, we cannot help but proclaim it. And I read that and I thought, wow. And here's why I thought, wow, is how many of us can say the same thing? And how many of us can, can truly relate to Peter and, and John there? Like now, not being under like persecution or the level of persecution that, that, that they're under, right? Um, let alone while doing it under persecution. I mean, if, if we're not, man, these are just thoughts here, right? Things for all of us, I think, to, 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 to munch on. But if we don't feel compelled to proclaim Christ now, when things are relatively easy, are we truly going to be compelled to proclaim Christ when things get tough? It's, it's, it's something to, I think, definitely consider. I'll do, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'll do that. But think, I mean, I'll do it when I need to do it. We need to be doing that now. We should be compelled now. Really should be the proving ground. Now should be the proving ground for what's, for what's to come. Right? Peter and John were compelled to proclaim Christ prior to persecution. And then under persecution, that, that desire, right, it even increased. But if they don't have that desire prior to persecution, I can promise you they wouldn't have had it after. And if you don't have that desire now prior to, to persecution, if you will, I can promise you you're probably not going to have that desire under persecution. I mean, if it's easy now for you to be quiet about Christ, about your faith, about what you believe, how much easier is it going to be, right, when things get tough? Well, it's going to be a whole lot easier then if it's easy now, right? 
So the Sanhedrin says, be quiet, right? Don't, don't, don't preach, don't teach. Just, just, right? Tried to, what? Tried to shut them up. And they said, listen, we're, we're, we're going to obey God, right? There's a conflict here between what you're telling us and what Christ commands. Judge yourselves, right? But as far as we're concerned, we're going to do what God commands us to do. They'd rather listen to God than listen to man. Now, listen, we are to submit to governing authorities, First Peter. I know Justin um, uh, just uh, not too long ago, right, preached on this last Sunday, uh, the last time he preached at the time before that. Um, but let's look at this passage. We're going to look at two, First Peter, um, First Peter 2, 13. And then we're going to go to Romans 13. Okay, so 1 Peter 2.13 says, through 17, uh, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor or supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor, honor the emperor. And then Romans, um, Romans chapter 13. Romans 13, 1 through 7. It says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever um, resists uh, resist the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. owed. So, so again, we, we do have right the, these biblical commands to submit to governing authorities, but only to the extent that it doesn't conflict with biblical commands, we've got these uh, implicit biblical commands, right? Go ye therefore, right? And if the government says no, right, we're still commanded to go, right? But then we also have these, these biblical principles, right? Where maybe there's not an explicit command to do something or not to do something, but we have a, a, a principle in Scripture, right? And the government says, well, do this or don't do this, Right? And so now we go to this almost a gray area kind of-ish, right? But we've got this biblical principle that we should, we should live this way or we should do this or that people should be this way or whatever the case might be, right? So anytime, whatever government is asking us or requiring us to do, if it conflicts with biblical commands or principles, then we are to what? To disobey the government. Why? Because we are to obey who? God. First and foremost, we obey God. And we have numerous biblical examples. We're not going to uh, uh, go through all of them for the sake of time today, but we've got numerous biblical examples, right, of God's people, 
Sometimes it's like isolated incidences. Other times it's like a large group of people. But we have numerous incidences in Scripture of God's people, right, disobeying government because they are what? They are instead obeying God. Okay, so, so just kind of put a, put a little uh, bookmark right there, okay? Because um, I'm going to come back to this. I'm going I'm to look at 21 through 22, and I'm going to come back to that, and we're going to kind of give some application and end on that. Um, so back to Acts 4. Let me get there. Again, 421 through 22. It says, um, And when they, again, Sanhedrin, had further threatened them, again, assuming somehow threatened them, don't, again, you're not to speak of this, you're not to preach of this, you're to go and be quiet, right, or else, probably type of thing. It says, When they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. Again, they were, they were afraid, right? Because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So again, they couldn't keep him. They couldn't charge him. They were afraid of this huge crowd of people that were singing praises to God because of, of the healing that they had, had just seen, the message that they had heard. No doubt God probably converting some of them and saving them, right? They let them go. But let's, let's go back now. So we're going to go back to that, 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 that bookmark that we put there concerning Peter and John and them telling the government, the authorities, hey, we are going to obey, obey God rather than you, right? So... How do, we, how do we apply that? I think, I think it's easy, right, for us to, to look at that and stop for a minute and say, listen, I think that as, as a country, as, as a community, as a, as a church, as individuals, right, believers, I think, I think we're here, right? We're, we're living in a, a time and a place where our government is, is making laws, if you will, and or interpreting laws and or rules to tell us that we are to do certain things and, and not certain things, right? We have some major issues that have, that have come, right, that as believers, right, we are going to be forced to stand upon God's truths, right, and the commands concerning those truths as well as principles that, that we extract from that, right? We've, we've got the issues of, of gay marriage, Right. I mean, recently we, we all know that our country has said, hey, you know, two guys can get married. Actually, it's, you, two guys can't get married. It's not possible. Right. I mean, maybe in the side of the government. OK, whatever. But it's not possible. Two guys can't get married and two women can't get married. and You can't marry your dog or whatever the case might be. Marriage is between a man and a woman. And that that settles it. Right. But we're at this place where our government says, no, whoever wants to get married with whoever they can. They can do that. Right. We're, we're not far away, I can promise you, church, we're not far away from when the government will say, you know, um, we can't even as a church discriminate against that. If, if, if you are licensed to marry people, we're not far from the government saying you have to marry these people, right? Otherwise, it's, it's a civil rights violation, okay? So we're not, we're not far from there, right? We've got this crazy issue of transgenderism, if that's even a, if you can add the ism to it, if that makes it a, a real world, I don't know, but... But, but that's going on right now. Who can use, who can use what, what bathrooms and who can't and, and what that's, what that's going to look like, right? Decades ago, 
right, the, the issue of abortion, right, well, it's, it's coming to where it won't be long. And I think there are isolated cases where doctors, listen, if you want to work for us, you have to do this. Um, no, you're not willing to do this, then, then, then it's maybe not a law, but you're fired, right? That's persecution, right? It's here. It's, it's coming. It's going to get worse. And I believe that there's a lot of other issues, right, that are, that are going to be coming down the road and, and probably coming pretty quickly, right? I think, I think concerning these issues and others, right, um, believers are already beginning to face persecution, and I know, I know depending on, on who you read and who you listen to, right, there's kind of debate, like the cake bakers, right? Some would say, well, they're a business. It's not persecution, right? Well, listen, if, if, if a Christian, right, is fined hundreds of thousands of dollars and put out of business because they don't want to um, do a certain thing that they believe they're, they're um, commanded not to do according to their faith, then listen, that, that, that's, that's persecution, right? Persecution is... It is here, folks, right? When, when, when teachers are being told that even privately, right, outside of the classroom, that they cannot share their faith, right, that's persecution, right? Fire chief in Atlanta, Georgia, or someplace in there, right, had, had written a book, right? And in the book, he had talked about marriage and God's design for marriage. And, of course, that included marriage being between a man and a woman and only one man and one woman, Right? And he was fired from his job for something that he wrote and did outside of that job. If, if that's not persecution, what is? it's not beheading like, like what is going on in the Middle East. Okay, I get that, right? Um, it's probably a precursor to that. But it is nonetheless persecution. Okay, so, so here's what I believe is coming up. Here's, here's, here's what I think probably the next big thing for us is. And it's already in the works with all of these issues right? Which is really what Peter and John had experienced here, okay? Um, but, but here's the big issue that I think is just around the corner for us, right? Um, and it's the issue of speech. I think within the next short time in our country, we will be commanded by the authorities above us as believers um, to not preach and or to teach certain things, right? You can't say that. You can't say that you believe that only girls should use girls' restrooms and boys should use boys' restrooms because that's, that's, that's uh, against the civil rights whatever because whatever, right? You can't preach or teach that marriage is, is, is this, right? You can't say that it's, wrong, that it's wrong to do this, right, and that it's only right to do, to do that. If, if you don't think that that is coming, well, I don't even know what to say to that because I, I promise you, listen, it is coming. It's not going to be long until you interview for a job and your employer says, oh, so you're a Christian. What do you think about this? So, so if you say that you're a Christian, does that mean you don't believe that two men can, whatever the case might be? Because you, you can't say that. That's, that's, it's, it's coming, right? Just around the corner, right? And so as we think of this, right, it, 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 as we think of what Peter and John, right, we're told not to do by the Sanhedrin, right? And, and we think about what we're going to be told not to say in the near, the near future, right? Um, I, think it, I think it begs a question and or some questions from us, all right? So this is kind of the main point of application that I want to make. Um, and it's not this. This is not the question, right, or not the issue, right? 
um, are you going to stand firm in obedience like Peter and John? That's not the question. That's not the application that I'm asking. Are you going to be able to stand firm like Peter and John? Are you, are you, are you ready in that regards, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of a part of it, but that's, that's not the question, right? Um, I think the question is this, right? Are you living an obedient life today? I think, I think that's the main, the main application from this, is are you living an obedient life today? Because if, if you're not, right, in the small things, right, if you're not, not watching the things you shouldn't be watching, right, and if you're not keeping control of your tongue, and if you're not, beloved, let us love one another. If, if you're not being obedient in the small things, what makes you think that you're going to be obedient when the big things come? I mean, that's just absolutely ridiculous. I'll get that when I get there. No, you won't. You won't. If you're not obeying Christ today, when there is no pressure or little pressure, I can promise you, you won't be obeying Christ then. I mean, that doesn't mean he can't work and it's like, uh, now I'm binding the hands of God. That's, that's not what I'm saying, right? But this attitude of, well, I'm okay today, but, but I'll get it then, right? I'll get right with God then. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll live how I'm supposed to live. Then. No, you won't. You won't. So we talk about persecution that's coming. We talk about trials. Maybe, maybe it's not persecution. Maybe it's just trials in our lives, right? Sickness, loss of job. Uh, relational problems, whatever the case might be, right? You want to be prepared? If you want to be prepared for that, right? Then we've got to be obedient today. Again, we're not talking about living in perfect obedience, right? There's, there's only one who's ever been perfectly obedient, and that was Christ, right? But are we, are we, are we pursuing that, right? I was thinking about that even in relation to what, what um, Paul taught this morning, and if, if you missed it, I'm sorry, because it was a good lesson, Right? Um, and not just an outward obedience, right? But an inward outward obedience is what? What is that? Just when there's just an outward obedience. This is legalism. It's worthless. I mean, if you're going to be just like outwardly obedient, then you might as well just eat, eat, drink, and be married for tomorrow you die, right? I mean, it's, it's worthless, right? But we're talking about an outward obedience that is, that is motivated from an inward obedience, right? An inward desire to obey, to obey Christ. So here's the thing. Many of us will probably find ourselves at some point in the future standing before someone like, like Peter and John did, be it an employer, a family member, the government. I don't know, right? Um, people say, get ready, it's coming. How do we do that? Let's, let's be obedient today. Let's seek to walk in godliness now. Not just so simply that we'll be prepared. But that we'll honor Christ. Because we might. We could all pursue Christ, live obedient lives, maybe not have any troubles. I doubt it. If that's the case, then Christ is glorified. And that's, that's the end game, isn't it? It is the end game. So let's pray and let's, let's ask Christ that he would continue right, to work in us and through us that we would, out of desire, right, not duty, live the obedient lives that he's, that he's called us to, right? If you don't know Christ, sin. If you've not turned from your sin and in faith 
turn to Christ and trusting him alone for salvation, then, then obedience, listen, it's, it's unattainable. You can't, you can't be obedient. Even if your outward life seems to conform, that's, that's not obedience. So for you, we pray that today would be the day of your salvation. That God would do what only God can do, and that save you. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for um, really this, this, this picture and acts of, of Peter and John, Lord, and um, this persecution that they had, had, had dealt with, God, and, and how you worked in them and through them, one, commanding their obedience. I mean, they were compelled and they had a, an encounter with the living Christ, just as all of us had. And they were compelled to be obedient, compelled to live accordingly. And I pray, Lord, that we would be compelled as they were compelled to obey you. And that that wouldn't be something that we, we do tomorrow or pursue tomorrow, but that we would, that we would pursue it today that we would seek to obey you now primarily because it glorifies you. It honors you. It's what you want. I mean, it is good for us. It will be good for us, and it will be good for your church. But more than that, it honors you. Lord, we want to honor you. We should want to want to honor you. And so I pray that you would again work in us and through us so this would be a reality for each and every one of us. Lord, for those who, who may be here today who, who, who don't know you, who, who are dead in their sin, who are completely lost, God, we know that they can't obey you. We pray that you would do, Jesus, only what you can do, and that's to save them. They would turn from their sin, and in turning their sin, and, and, and they would turn to you in faith and trust you alone for salvation. Again, Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in your precious and holy name.